came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. Dr. Peter Michalos, how are you going to live longer? We have Mario Economo on the report on Europe. Alphonse D'Amato, what's going on in the Middle East? Newt Gingrich, Alan Dershowitz, Father Alex Carluzzo's on Christians are getting hurt too. And let's start off the show with Senator Tim Scott, presidential candidate. With us today is Senator Tim Scott. He's serving as a junior senator uh, at uh, South Carolina, but he's running for the president of the United States. Welcome to New York, Senator Scott. John, so good to be with you again. Thank you so much for all you've done for our nation, for politics, but more importantly, the business acumen that we just walked through, talked through, and had a chance to experience. Uh, Tell us, you've been on the presidential uh, uh, trail now for, uh, oh, wow, six months at least? Yes, basically. What is your experience going around the country? You know, one of the things I'll say, John, that I've learned around the country is that people are hungry for an optimistic, positive message that's anchored in consistently conservative principles. We are working towards seeing that the American dream is alive and it is well, healthy. Whether you're in the inner city of Chicago or the rural parts of Iowa, people really want to know that the American dream works for them. And you have a fantastic story about how it worked for you. We need that story all across the country so that we're restoring hope and creating opportunities in the free market system that makes so much possible. Senator, our country is under attack in so many directions. If you were president of the United States, what would you rate your number one? You say, if I'm president, I'm going to go in there and fix it day one. Yeah, well, the, the biggest issue that we have may not be an actual issue. It is the drug of victimhood and the narcotic of despair is spreading throughout our country and is impacting every single issue that you just talked about. Let me just hit a couple of them really quickly. Number one, from a foreign policy standpoint, the one thing that we must distinguish ourselves from is the world that we're seeing in the Middle East. We need to be standing shoulder to shoulder and back to back with no daylight with Israel. We're seeing the devastation and the human carnage brought to the Jewish people by Hamas, we have to be very, very clear that we stand with Israel. But the drug of victimhood here at home is a big problem. We see it in the spread of socialism in our really big blue cities. We see it with overdoses in rural America, big city crime. That, in part, comes from this notion that someone somewhere besides yourself owes you something. We can beat that by having free markets and capitalism plus personal responsibility restore the city on the hill. We must be at our best to win this war of uh, grievance in our nation. There are people who believe that grievance is our future. John, you and I, our life stories tell us that greatness is in our future. You came from the poor side of town. I came from the poor side of town. So we both live the American dream. You have the possibilities of being the president of the United States. 
you've come a long way. How do they used to say? You've come a long way, baby. Yes, yes, yes. And I thank God that I have indeed. But I have in part because America provides us both the opportunity to succeed beyond our wildest imagination. When I was growing up in that single-parent household, mired in poverty, when I looked around, my circumstances said not much is possible. But I had a mentor, a small business owner, who taught me by looking in the mirror and taking responsibility, that was the first leap in the right direction. Personal responsibility is insulation for the challenges that will come your way. It's insulation because it provides you with a compass of true north. True north can be seen even in the midst of the storm if you understand that if it is to be, it's up to me. All the kids, uh, especially from single-parent homes, yes. need a mentor. So true. And, you know, I'm, I'm chairman of the Police Athletic League in uh, New York, and, and we try to help these kids of the inner city. Otherwise, they, get in tr- they end up getting in trouble. Well, John, you're doing a good job. And I remember last year, December, I was given an award Federal Law Enforcement Foundation. You got it. And you were a part of that process and made that award possible because you and I see the same thing. When you actually play by the rules, you use hard work and dedication, also known as grit, plus respecting the rule of law. All things become possible in this country. And the more you work on providing that hope to inner city kids, the more you work at making sure that law enforcement officers and members of the community are working together. The more you do that, the more lives you save, the more crime is reduced, and the more hope is restored. Uh, Senator, why is there such, I mean, Washington, there's such a mess there. Yes. I mean, it used to be that Democrats and Republicans used to work together in common sense. What went wrong? The list is too long for us to finish in the next two minutes, John. But I will say the path forward is making sure that we find common sense. It will lead to common ground. And what I have found is consistently conservative principles lead us out of the challenges that we face. Let me give you one example because you named it earlier. Closing our southern border is the right thing to do. It will slow down, if not stop, 6 million illegal crossings. But it will also save 70,000 lives that we have lost because of fentanyl. A wide-open, insecure, unsafe southern border has led to the death of 70,000 Americans. I passed legislation in the Banking Committee. If I were president, I would sign it. It just does one big thing. It stops the Mexican cartels from killing another 70,000 Americans by sanctioning their accounts and freezing their assets. I got that through 23 to 0 on the banking committee. It should become law this year. It's restoring common sense because I found common ground because we all love our kids and our grandkids. You're on the banking committee. That's one of the sections, the with the interest rates going up so fast. Yes, so fast. They put the banks in trouble. Well, 11 rate increases to fight back the inflationary economy created by Joe Biden's reckless handling of the economy has jeopardized the ability of first-time home buyers to buy a home because interest rates today are 8%. 8%. 8%. 8%. 
And just two years ago, it was 3%. Yes. That means that too many young starters, first starter homes, will not be purchased because young Americans cannot afford their first home. By turning the spigot off in Washington, stop spending that $4 trillion, interest rates start coming down, the economy starts going up, and the American people start benefiting by having more money in their paychecks. If Joe Biden turned on the oil spigots... That would it brings down the price of oil. Yes. It brings down inflation. Yes, unfortunately, Joe Biden has lost his spigot. He can't find the knob. I will say I will restore that's, the knob. That's hurting our country. It's devastating our country. If we were to, my Made in America plan is focused on one thing: build, not borrow. That creates ten million new jobs, three plus million in our energy sector. I'm in the energy business. Yes. And I'm going to spend one more minute and tell you, they, they took Iran from 400,000 barrels a day to 3.4 million barrels a day when yes. they, they weren't supposed to. And Iran is now making a profit of $2 billion a week. And that $2 billion a week goes towards terrorism. The biggest funder of Hamas devastated Israel just October 7th, about two weeks ago, $80 billion, according to some reports, over the last 40 weeks coming into the hands of Iran, helping to fund Hamas. The one thing I have focused on, because I know that is factually accurate, $6 billion paid for hostages, those dollars are fungible. 90% of the money comes from Iran for Hamas. Freezing those assets, like my legislation does, I would sign that as President of the United States. $90 oil is funding Russia for their wars. It's funding Iran for their wars. It's time for America to be energy dominant. Let's export our oil. Let's not be dependent on Russia or on Iran or the Middle East when we have the resources to simply depend on ourselves. Senator Tim Scott, thank you so much for coming into New York, and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, and, and you have common sense solutions, and, and I wish you good luck in the presidential race, and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you, John, very much. God bless you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Welcome back to the Catch Round. With us this morning uh, is Dr. Peter Mihalos and uh, our in-house genius in history and medicine, many, many other things. And he's got some great ideas this morning that going to make us live longer. Dr. Mihalos. Good morning, everyone, on the Cats Roundtable. And today we're going to be talking about the exciting field of regenerative medicine. And there's been some great strides that are happening in targeting certain types of cancer and some exciting work being in diabetes. And where regenerative medicine is basically a new specialty where people will try to restore and replace bad cells. And basically, we spend $4 trillion a year in the United States treating chronic diseases. So if we can make people better 
earlier on and before it becomes a chronic disease uh, as society, we'll have a more productive society and we're going to save trillions, as we just uh, heard, in uh, healthcare. One example is in treating a blood cancer called leukemia and lymphoma in, in our lymphatic system as a type of cancer. And what they did is we have these things called T killer cells, which can go after bad cancer cells. And they're taking out your own T killer cells and basically programming them like a robot to go after your specific tumor and cancer. So T cells are programmed and they go after the cancer that you have in your body, whether it's leukemia, lymphoma, and actually one of our friends' wives was just treated with that and she was cured and her blood tests are coming back normal and she's doing great. And that's a a very uh, new and very exciting way to uh, treat cancer patients that is available here in the United States. And another thing is diabetes. They're taking healthy insulin-producing cells from healthy volunteers, and they're transplanting them into diabetics. And basically, they're working on, and we're very close to almost curing diabetics by taking care of their cells that are bad and replacing them with good cells that will produce insulin and control the blood sugar levels. So that's another exciting thing that's going on. Peptide therapies are another thing being used in regenerative medicine, but interestingly, just this past week, the government has been trying to regulate it and regulating doctors who prescribe these things. Peptides are these amino acids that are signaling proteins, and basically they act like hormones, and they tell the body what to do. The first peptide was insulin that was approved in the United States, and it tells the body, hey, put out some more insulin so you can bring the sugar and food into the cells. But what's happening in that field, we've seen now with these new uh, weight loss drugs, that's an example of a peptide, and we're going to see a lot more of them. They even have one they're working on for eyes and retina, but it's very highly regulated right now in the United States, and that's why so many people have to go abroad for other forms of regenerative medicine, like stem cells, for example, where you can take your own fat, grow your own stem cells, or you can take umbilical cord stem cells. None of this is embryonic, and you can transfer that uh, into people's bodies, and those stem cells find their way and heal various organs, whether it's knees, hips, shoulders. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of that throughout the world, and hopefully it will be approved in the United States as more studies are being done and they get uh, FDA approval, and uh, that's another exciting area. But the most important thing is you have to stay as healthy as possible so you can benefit from all these new things, and that's why we always talk about the importance of uh, getting uh, blood tests. And the thing I'm going to finish off with today is one of the common problems that I've been hearing about a lot more, but a lot of doctors don't test for it, and we're both familiar with it, is the heavy metal toxicity like mercury, arsenic, cadmium, lead. And you and I have both uh, been through that. When you get a high level of a certain heavy metal, you get a letter from the state saying, hey, this is high. So that's something where people can have problems with anxiety, elevated heart rate, tingling in their face. And they actually do have an effect, these high heavy metals, but there are treatments. But it's important everyone at least once in their adult lifetime should ask their doctor, please 
do a heavy metal screen on me to check for these things. And we've had a few people, and one person in particular in our breakfast who was having all kinds of symptoms and uh, heard you and I speaking about it. They went and got the test, and they had very high mercury levels. And then once they were treated, they got better. So um, avoid eating fish that are very large, like swordfish and tuna in high amounts, because the bigger the fish, the longer it lives, the more mercury it accumulates. So those are some of the things you can do to protect yourself and try to avoid exposure to uh, heavy metals and, you know, get the rest of your blood tests and stay healthy so that the future of regenerative medicine will be there for you in the next few years. And we're going to see people living longer, definitely, and living better, healthier quality of lives. And uh, what we talk about every week, it's good to remind people to go on that 16-hour diet, the, uh, or to say 18 hours. Intermittent diet. fasting. Intermittent yeah, fasting. Intermittent. Yeah. And like also, you, you, you eat the right foods and you take care of your second brain, which is your stomach uh, viruses yeah. and your gut. And, your uh, gut. and what that means is when you're not eating during those 16 hours or 18 hours, your cells are doing a repair mechanism on the rest of your body. Absolutely. It's called autophagy, going after dead and dying cells. And now we know 80% of our immune system is in our gut. And interestingly, our white blood cells that fight infection, 75% of them just hover around the intestinal area because that's like a border wall to prevent bad things from entering our system. But it turns out our gut is very important. And also our destiny is only, we used to say it's all your genes. It's not. It's 20% are genes. It's like your new car. And 80% is how you take care of that new car or that set of genes. And that's why people need to consult with their doctors before they do anything and keep listening for more exciting health tips on how to stay healthier and live longer and have health span. Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you so much. And thank you for keeping our listeners listening longer and, and healthier and long, having a longer life. And God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you, John. And thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo. Uh, he gives us a weekly update on what the heck is going on in Europe. Mario, uh, tell us what's going on. Good morning, uh, Mr. Katsimatidis. I thought I'd start off today with some election results that have come out in Europe, uh, various elections around different countries as well as some upcoming ones. So there is, uh, there was an election in Poland, if you recall, we discussed that, and the outcome actually was that the Law and Justice Party won. It took the most seats, but... The problem is it doesn't have enough seats to create a coalition government. And the other parties that actually did win uh, enough seats to create a coalition government are most likely going to be led by the former prime minister of Poland and the European Council president, a gentleman by the name of Donald Tusk. He means more Europe. He means more uh, moving away from what the Law and Justice Party represented. So it's probably, I would say, a tilt to the left. If we look at the UK, we will see that there were several, two specifically by elections in the United Kingdom that the Labour Party has won. And based on what the polls are saying and the way the Labour Party is winning seats, more likely than not in the election next year, the Labour Party, which is a left wing party in the United Kingdom, will actually come back into power. In Germany, where there was some regional elections, uh, and specifically in Bavaria, where the city of Munich is based, and in another state where the financial capital of Frankfurt is based, the Christian Democrats, which is a center-right party, won, and they were followed by the alternative for Germany, which is the far-right party. In Switzerland, there's going to be an election coming up, and they're going to be discussing 
several things. It looks like the far-right party in Switzerland will win. One of the discussions they're going to be having is specifically that of whether or not Switzerland should take positions in things and therefore abandon its long-standing neutrality so that it can always act as a, in the role of a mediator. And a lot of this revolves around the situation specifically with Hamas because the current law, as, as it's written in Switzerland, says that Switzerland can only ban organizations, for example, ISIS and Al-Qaeda, which are subject to UN sanctions, but it cannot with Hamas because Hamas is not subject to UN sanctions. Therefore, that would require a law change, and that's one of the things that's going to be discussed. As we move away from Europe and we move over to China and to uh, President Putin's recent visit there, where there were many other countries present as well, we see that President Putin and President Xi of China are actually forging much closer ties than people thought. And Russia has said that it's going to seek regular security talks with North Korea and with China. And in fact, Russia did something interesting. It has asked India, the country of India, to actually pay for the oil that they import, the uh, crude, from Russia in Chinese yuan, which the uh, people, the government of India, has expressed no interest in doing. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. If we can just roll over now to the Middle East and what's going on there, there's going to actually be a very large meeting tomorrow in Egypt where different countries are actually going to go. You're going to have uh, the, the Egyptians hosting the event, and it looks like Germany will be present, as will the United Kingdom. The Prime Minister of Greece will go as well, and various Arab countries will be present as well. And the idea, of course, there is to see what type of an agreement can be reached so that a much larger-scale war can be avoided in that region. If, in fact, there was a much larger war in that region, the impact on the price of oil and, of course, on human lives would be catastrophic for everybody. The price of oil is going up because nobody knows what the heck is going on, who, what's... And uh, the bombings are continuing, and well, you know, we pray for all. Uh, any uh, news updates of the country of Turkey? Where did they stand? Yes, yeah, so they're going to actually be at this meeting tomorrow in Egypt as well. And Turkey is an interesting situation. We've discussed uh, whether Turkey should be a member of NATO or not. Turkey has come out very strongly in support of. Uh, the Palestinians. We know that uh, m uh, much of the Hamas leadership now actually resides in Turkey. Uh, there are all sorts of stories which are coming out about uh, whether or not it was Turkey that actually has armed Hamas. The short answer is we don't know. We do know that Turkey is a very important and strong country. It's only a regional player. It's becoming substantially more than that. And the last thing we want to see happen is them actually join their forces with Iran in a broad Muslim coalition against Israel and the West. That's why I think everybody needs to take a deep breath and everybody needs to go back to the drawing board and see if we can resolve the situation peacefully. Many countries, including the Russians, have said that there needs to be a two-state solution, uh, as outlined by the United Nations. I'm not sure the Israelis are presently prepared to engage in that effort, but sooner or later I suspect they will have to because the pressures on everybody in the world are going to be too great uh, and uh, we're, we're going to need to find a peaceful solution. The last thing the world needs is another Ukraine on everybody's border. Now, we, we talked about President Xi and President Putin uh, meeting together. I was with Kissinger the other day on uh, Thursday night, and he has just gotten back from five days with uh, President Xi. 
I mean, I'm scratching my head. That's not a coincidence. Does that mean he was in the meetings? Yes, if he was in China and he just got back from five days of uh, meetings in China, then yes, more likely than not, although I can't confirm that, he must have been at this event that the Chinese were hosting that I understand uh, dozens of countries actually attended. That is strange. That is strange. Well, thank you so much for calling in uh, from Europe. Keep us updated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy your day. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us this Sunday morning is my good friend, Senator Alphonse D'Amato, for an analysis of what the heck is going on in the in the Middle East, first of all. And... Uh, Good morning, Senator. How are you this morning? John, always better when I get a chance to speak to you. But uh, I'm you. not feeling good about what's taking place. And we have such a mess. We have a mess. A mess that this administration has allowed to take place, and they're hiding it. They know that it's taken place. And you know why? Because we have a traitor in this country. We have a traitor who was the special envoy to Iran. His name was Rob Malley, M-A-L-L-E-Y. Now, Mr. Malley had worked for the prior administration, okay, prior to Biden, and, and he was the special envoy to Iran. And, and let me tell you what he did. He, because he never enforced the sanctions, permitted anywhere between 50 and $80 billion to flow to Iran. How did he do that? By not enforcing the sanctions, by allowing all kinds of trade that could have and should have been prevented to take place, by letting them know what was taking place. He purposely furnished them billions of dollars, of, right, for the lack of enforcing the sanction provisions. Now, nobody knew, when we just found out recently, that in June, this thing became so obvious that the State Department suspended him without pay, and he's now under investigation from the FBI. He is a traitor to this country. He should be shot, this SOB. This is incredible. And this administration knew what was taking place. Now, let me ask you, John. I'll ask you. Where did Hamas get all of the, the munitions, the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of rockets and bombs and military equipment? Who do you think gave it to them? Well, it had to be somebody uh, like Iran because there's no way... And, and our intelligence system failed. How can you move yep. hundreds of thousands of, of missiles and not our intelligence system doesn't know it? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, I, I want to tell you, um, Israel fell asleep at the switch, their intelligence system. The United States, we allowed, we, uh, uh, allowed this spy, this operative, who was working for Iran for years uh, to have this go on. We 
did not enforce, and we could have enforced sanctions to cut off uh, the, the 50 to $80 billion. And by the way, former Secretary Mike Pompeo, one of the smartest guys there's ever been, he is incredible. He said that it's reported that he, he funded, he uh, being this, this, this crook, this thief, Rob Malley, between 50 to 80 billion over two and a half years by not enforcing the sanctions as related to oil, energy, etc. Through the lack of enforcement of those sanctions, he estimates between 50 and 80 billion over the last two and a half years, two and a half years, went to Iran. Iran, they're our friends. Now, Iran, why did they do this? Because they did not want to see Israel get together with Saudi Arabia. Oh, they were fearful of that. And that's why they brought about this attack. Wow. Okay? Wow. That's now, the other thing I'm saying, Senator, the other thing I'm saying is yeah. that the fact is, you know, uh, these Hamas, they're paid assassins. Uh, uh, Iran, Iran probably gave them ten thousand dollars each uh, to give to their families. Gave them uh, guns, uh, gave them uh, machine guns, and Everything. we have to go after. We have to go after the people, the Bin Laden, the Bin Ladens of twenty twenty three. Who's the one guilty of supplying them the uh, the, the weapons and go after them? Uh, I mean, these Iran. guys are just paid assassins. Well, understand this guy Mali who was the special envoy, made it possible for Iran to get between 50 and $80 billion that had. We enforced the sanctions, okay? They wouldn't have had. They wouldn't have had this money. And let me tell you, they spent billions in terms of, of providing munitions and building an army uh, uh, for Hamas, etc. And that's what took place because they see Israel as their greatest threat. Because I'll tell you why. We don't have the nerve, the United States of America, to knock out Iran's atomic facility. We've, we've been negotiating to let them go atomic. Are, they, are we out of our mind? Are we crazy? And the only ones who would stop it, because they know they'd be the first to be attacked, okay, is Israel. And yeah, that's they have why the courage Iran to do it. Won. That's yeah, why but wants but to my eliminate. my fear is Israel does not have the confidence that they have uh, Biden Joe, President Biden's uh, uh, backing. You're right, you're right. But let me tell you this: Israel at some point will have to knock out the nuclear facilities capabilities uh, um, that Iran is developing. And here we are with this. This envoy who they just suspended in June and they kept it secret, all right, he was making all of this available to them. He is a, a Iranian. He works for Iran. Uh, yeah. Uh, he works against this country. He works against freedom and peace. Incredible. And here we gave $50 billion. And then we, we're going to give them $6 billion for humanitarian purposes. Money fungible. Senator D'Amato, thank you for uh, coming on this Sunday morning and, and telling the American people the truth, and we'll catch up again real soon. 
You got it. Good being with you. The former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. You know, I have to there, there are so much going on. Uh, what do you think, first off, the president's going to say tonight? And do you think maybe it's going to be in timing with a ground invasion from Israel? Well, I, I have no idea. I think the Israelis have been very methodical. They were slowed down by President Biden coming and by the British prime minister coming. Uh, but at, at some point, I suspect they will move. They've certainly done a great deal to soften up Hamas with airstrikes and have uh, hit uh, Gaza with vastly more airstrikes than we had used, for example, in Fallujah. So uh, presumably uh, they're prepared. Uh, they've also been very patient in part to try to get civilians out of the way, uh, to try to get them to move into southern Gaza, to not be in the major firefight, which will be in northern Gaza. Uh, in terms of what, I've, you know, I thought, I mean, Biden's speeches are pretty good. I think his the things happening behind the scenes aren't nearly as good, and there's not much action attached to him. But my guess is he's going to say uh, the war, we have to defend Israel, we have to defend Ukraine. I need uh, a huge amount of money. Uh, the Congress has to get its act together. I'm going to send them up a proposal, and I'm certainly going to ha- hope they're going to pass it pretty quickly. And But, Newt, is he going to finally say more than don't? You know, I, every I, it, it infuriates me that every time all he says, if anyone who wants to interfere, and he's referring, obviously, I would assume, to Iran and some others, but he won't call Iran up, Iran by name. And all he says is if somebody else wants to step in, don't. Uh, that doesn't sound very forceful. Well, I, I put uh, nine questions on X today uh, about the speech tonight. I mean, he should mention uh, uh, he should mention Iran. He should demand that Gutter uh, kick out all of the Hamas leadership that currently have sanctuary and very nice places to live in Gutter. Uh, he ought to say the hundred million dollars is not going to go to Gaza until the hostages are released. He should say that uh, if, in fact, Hezbollah uh, launches any major offensive, that the purpose of having two nuclear carrier battle groups in the eastern Mediterranean is to annihilate uh, Hezbollah if that happens. I mean, they're not they're not just sitting there as postage stamps, uh, or are they? I mean, this could be like, like Barack Obama's famous red line in Syria, <laughs> which turned out to not exist. Now, Either we've sent two major battle groups there with enormous firepower to do something, or we haven't. And uh, there are a lot of things that that Obama that, that Biden could say, uh, but he could also come out and say that he condemns the pro-terrorist members of Congress, all of them in his own party, who have been saying things that are total lies um, and who are clearly committed to the destruction of Israel. So there are a number of positive, specific things. He could say, he could also repeat that the total destruction of Hamas is a legitimate goal. Yeah, you're right. And there there can't be gray. I just hear so much gray, Newt Gingrich, don't you, from this president? Uh, yeah, but look, but if you're the American establishment, you love gray. Uh, you're afraid of the world. You're afraid to use our power. You feel guilt-ridden because, after all, you know, I mean, look at Biden. He's a white male. Imagine the burden of guilt you must carry if you're a left winger uh, who, you know, and so you have all of these people out here who, you know, I mean, the secretary of state who's an absurdity um, and who is being paid a million dollars a year by the University of Pennsylvania, probably with Chinese money uh, before he became secretary of state. 
I mean, all of these people go go around wringing their hands. There are times in life when you have to win, and you have to win at any cost. Uh, that's how we won the Civil War. That's how we won World War II. Uh, we have flinched ever since. Uh, when you flinch in war, you lose. Uh, and the, the Israelis now have had such a terrible event with such terrible atrocities. You know, I don't want to hear anybody. This is why I'm so angry at the pro-terrorist members of Congress. I mean, how can you look at 40 babies being killed, some of them being beheaded, and not be enraged? Uh, and, and I don't want to see a penny go to Gaza until the, all the hostages, not just Americans, all the hostages are released. Uh, this, is, this is nonsense to think that we're somehow we're going to make it easy for the people of Gaza while Hamas is, is engaged in terrible terrorism. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. This is the Katz Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Katz Roundtable. With us this Sunday morning is Father Alex Carluzos, representing the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of North America and as well as the Patriarch of Constantinople. Uh, good morning, Father Alex. Uh, nice to catch you nice and early before uh, church this morning. Tell us, uh, there's so much suffering in the Middle East. Uh, the Muslims are suffering. Uh, the Israelis are suffering. But the untold story is that the Christians are suffering a great deal. Can you fill in all of America about that? Well, indeed, the Christians have been suffering. But, you know, we're all, as they say it in the Abraham and Abraham Accords. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham. Spiritually and culturally, we go back to our uh, the patriarch of what they consider the monotheistic faiths, the Jewish, the Christian, the Muslims. And indeed, uh, everybody's grieving in the world about what's going on. But the Christians have suffered. At one time, of course, Christ uh, was born in Bethlehem, the Holy Lands, are called the Holy Lands for millions around the world, billions around the world, because of Christ's birth, his death and resurrection. And it was many, many years just filled with Christians. But now between the conflicts that, that continuously occur between the Muslim and the Jewish communities, uh, the fighting of, uh, indeed, we said, the sons and daughters of Abraham, you have this great conflict. For example, the hospital that was inadvertently bombed, how whatever tragic that was, that hospital was a Anglican Episcopal hospital in Gaza. So it shows the Christian roots. The church that was destroyed, not destroyed, but the walls were badly damaged. Over 20 people were, mur were murdered. The St. Porfirio's Greek Orthodox Church, that church was there since 1150. So now, and that was predominantly a Christian world, and uh, now it's less and less. So there, there's there been a movement out uh, because people want to live freely. We we take, for example, we can make this phone call uh, early in the morning and talk about these issues openly and freely. But unfortunately, there are parts of the world, and now in the Middle East, uh, where people can't talk civilly, people can't express to each other different opinions so the tragedy is that the christians are leaving the holy land and uh, the greatest population of christians are when 
Christians from the around, around the world gather there as pilgrims. It's not that they live there. It's that there are more people visiting the Holy Lands that are Christians than actually live there today. So uh, where, where, where are they actually moving to if it's... Uh, well, they're, yeah, they're moving they're, to they're, different... How many Christians... There are a lot of Christians in the Middle East. And well, so uh, they're, they're being, uh, I guess, moved. Well, what happens is, is that they're looking for opportunities. They would stay there if they had no children. But once you have children, then you move to a better place so your child can have a better future. Just like your mom and dad left the island of Nisod and Greece, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world. But they wanted their son to achieve the great American dream. So do the Palestinians. So do the Jewish, the Israelis. And so do the Muslims, because they're Palestinian Christians, they're Palestinian Muslims. And so what they do is they move on to different places in Europe. They go to Greece, many of them. So this is what happens when there's constant conflict. Can you imagine every day? We'd, we're concerned about the streets of New York because of the insanities going on here. But can you imagine bombings that you go to the hospital and all of a sudden a bomb hits you when your child is about ready to be born or your mother's about ready to die? Or can you imagine going to a church or a synagogue or a temple or whether it's a mosque and can't feel safe even in the mosque? And we saw that that occurred in the synagogues, for example, in Pittsburgh and across the country because of anti-Semitism. So this is a real different struggle. Uh, we need great leadership from our political leaders, our religious leaders. The religious leaders, you should know, John, the Christian religious leaders, and Patriarch Theophilus, you know very well, and you were there when Pope Francis prayed with ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew in the Holy Lands, at the Holy Sepulchre, you were there. You're one of the few hundred people from around the world that were allowed into that service. They prayed for peace. They prayed for shalom. But this, unfortunately, there where the Holy Sepulchre, where the light, the unwaning light of Christ goes to the world to bring joy and peace, there's no joy right now and there's no peace. It's a real struggle, but the Christians want to remain there they're steadfast in their faith that's been there for 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. All the shrines in the Holy Land are in Greek Orthodox hands because they are the oldest religious establishment outside of, let's say, uh, the brothers and sisters of the Hebraic faith. But the Christians want to remain. They'll struggle to remain. We pray for them to have peace, and the only way for them to have peace is our Muslim brothers and sisters to have peace, our Jewish brothers and sisters to have peace. We condemn what happened when Hamas abducted these, these people, innocent people were slaughtered and murdered. We have to respond to that. But again, I remind everybody what a Hindu said, Gandhi, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth leaves the world half blind and toothless. Let's keep our eyes open and let's have a radiant smile in the name of God, in the name of love, 
in the name of our humanity. We need to survive as brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for giving us an update and giving us a prayer. And um, light an extra candle in church when you're in church. Thank you, John. God bless you. My love to Margo and the kids. Now, let's go to Alan Dershowitz uh, to uh, get a report from him. I'm doing good. Happy to see these two released, but it's only the beginning. Uh, Israel can't rest. The United States can't rest until all the hostages are released, obviously, as your prior guest said. They're playing a game. They want to stall the invasion. Uh, They also want to affect American public opinion. Remember, they're doing tragically very well on college campuses today. Today, college campuses, one after the other, are having petitions, uh, statements, all saying, you know, that Hamas is right and Israel's wrong. And too many young, naive, stupid, bigoted students are supporting them. And now they're going to say, look, you know, we're humanitarian. We're releasing two Americans. Uh, you should support us. So, you know, they're playing a lot of games. They want their hostages out. They want to delay in the invasion, <clears throat> perhaps calling off the invasion. And they want to win public opinion in the United States. And, uh, Alan, it started with Harvard. It started with uh, Columbia. Uh, where do they stand and where, what other schools are we having problems with that that these people are, are uh, actually uh, supporting Hamas? Almost every university in the United States has a problem. Some are more than others, but the major elite Ivy League universities and we're fighting back. Uh, donors to Harvard and to uh, other schools are saying, no, we're, we're, our, our uh, foundations don't allow us to contribute to uh, bigoted, anti-Semitic um, uh, universities. And unless there's a reckoning, a reckoning. Remember, George Floyd was killed. One man filled with drugs, previous criminal record, tragedy that he was killed, terrible. But it caused a reckoning. It caused changes in admission standards, changes in curriculum, uh, committees, deans appointed. Unless there is a major reckoning, we we got two questions here. We'll take the first one from Judge Weinberg, and then we go to Governor Patterson. Alan, what do you what do you think of the fact that you have members of the United States Congress who are articulating pro-Hamas statements, uh, carrying forth misinformation about who is responsible for the incident at the hospital? What should be done about that, Alan? Well, I think they should be kept off all the committees, and I think the Democratic Party has an obligation to truth. Um, you can't have people calling themselves Democrats and saying that uh, Israel bombed the hospital. Uh, we have people like that. But uh, if, if you had somebody in the Democrat or Republican Party who blamed rapes on the rape victims or blamed um, you know, uh, shootings on the victims, they would be done they would be tre- dealt with as pariahs, and these people have to be dealt with as pariahs. But Democrats are afraid. They're afraid of losing votes, and I understand it because there's so much support for Hamas and for raping and for uh, killing and for kidnapping among the future leaders, the 18-year-olds who now vote. By the way, so, by the uh, way, Professor Dershowitz, did you see this? This is just coming in that a New York Times reporter who uh, in 2018, yes, was yeah. praising yeah. Hitler in a in a public post, has now been rehired by the New York Times to get this covered, the Israel-Palestinian war. I mean, are, are you it's kidding me? That. It's worse than that. They also, he covered also the hospital incident. Now, can you imagine a Klansman being hired by the New York Times? Can you imagine 
a homophobe being hired by. Look, let me tell you, the greatest villain in this hospital piece has been The New York Times. They have been Pravda. They have been the the, you know, the, the Soviet press. They will do anything to try to pin it on Israel. So first they had this terrible headline. You know, Israel bombs, Palestinians say. Then they had to understand they, were, they never apologized, they never retracted. And if you read all their op-eds today, every single one of their op-eds today, Goldberg and Lena, all of them said, well, maybe it's possible, we're not sure. You know, Israelis lie about this. They cannot confront the public and say, we messed up. We probably caused lives to be taken all over the world and more to come. Because we told a lie and refused to retract the lies. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see.